Thank you for waiting. We're now boarding all passengers on No Blackout Dates Airlines. All aboard No Blackout Dates to... Wait. Where the hell are we going? No Blackout Dates. Zero Blackout Dates. Good to see you. Good to see you. How you doing? Nothing, nothing really and truly all day long like 7-Eleven. Um, he got headbutted in Petersburg. Well, we're gonna start a get Tim a best friend sweepstakes. That's how I know you're not an outdoorsman is because you just made that statement. Gun goes off, goes through the bathroom door and lodges in his fiance's ass. Welcome back to another episode of No Blackout Dates. My name's Eben. I'm Tim. And our show today is actually funny, which is a nice change because Jerry Evans is joining us, a native of Fairbanks, Alaska, Jerry is a stand-up comedian and organizer of the Alaska Comedy Circuit. He's responsible for bringing some of the biggest names in comedy up to Alaska for a once-in-a-lifetime experience. He's worked with Craig Robinson, Jim Gaffigan, Jamie Kennedy, Kevin James, TJ Miller, and more. Um, interestingly enough, he's actually also the PR manager for Explore Fairbanks, which is how I met Jerry. Um, he was good enough to organize two trips to Alaska for me. The guy knows the state inside and out and knows how to put a humorous spin on pretty much all things Alaska. Yeah, it's a good conversation. Jerry has some good stories about some comedians that you definitely know, and probably even some that you watched on TV last night. And while we were talking to him, I was thinking about some of my own comedy club experiences that I've had going to watch comedy shows. And one of the things I always wonder about comedians is like, how awkward must it be to just get up on stage by yourself and just start rambling into a microphone? That, that, that is a talent. I feel like nervous even recording this podcast sometimes, and we're not even that funny. No. And it's not our job to be funny. People didn't buy a ticket to come listen to us, thank God. We, we don't have an audience sitting here staring at us, immediately judging if our jokes land. That instant reaction, that immediate awareness, if you're succeeding or failing, that comedians have to endure must be absolutely terrifying. I've been to uh, Comedy Works in Denver a couple of times. They have two two different locations there, um, and they, they bring in some pretty good ones, and it's always fun. Comedy clubs are one of those things where it's like you go there, and as we were talking in the last episode about whether or not people laugh when they're watching movies by themselves versus when they're watching movies by them but with their friends, I think comedy shows are a similar thing because when you're in the room with a good comedian and the comedian just has the crowd in the palm of his hand and he's just rocking it, you're laughing at everything. And But if you were to watch a TV show of that same thing, you probably wouldn't be laughing quite as hard. That's the thing. If I go to a comedy show... I'll find it hilarious. But if I watch that same comedy show on a, a Netflix special, I'll think it's funny, but I won't laugh out loud. It's just, it's a, it's a it's an audience experience thing for me. I can't get into sitting there on the couch and watching comedy like I know a lot of people can. But if you're on a show in an audience, it's a fucking blast for some reason. I can only get into it if it's you know a comedian that I relate to or has a good style of humor that is similar to my style of humor. For example, Jim Jeffries. Jim Jeffries is the funniest person on Netflix. He's hilarious. I went to a show of his in Denver once years ago, and he did the gun control bit that he's so famous for, and he had the place rolling on the floor. It was so funny. But you could tell the people in the room that were you know, gun advocates – you could tell the people in there that were just 
livid, like livid, like about to pull out a gun on this dude while he's telling this joke. But 80% of the people in the room are just freaking can't get enough of it. Like, and he is good enough to do that on television as well. But I think few comedians have that kind of a persona where they can capture a TV crowd that well. Yeah. Speaking of people getting offended, it's like, imagine going to a comedy show and getting offended by anything. It's like, if you sign up to go to a comedy show, what business do you have getting offended by literally anything? It's like, I'm only going to laugh if they cover these verticals and stay completely away from that. It's like, what do you do? Like the people that heckle, the people that like boo or just aren't like, if you don't like it, just don't laugh. Like, I don't understand people that that get offended at comedy. And maybe we've just kind of zeroed in on exactly what it is that makes a great comedian. Because I think to me, what makes Jim Jeffries so great is that he builds his jokes, at least a lot of them, around something that would offend one specific group of people so much that they would hate him. But to everybody else, it's hilarious. And he's able to walk that line so finely. And it's funny because you might think audiences in Alaska could get easily offended by these comedians who come up there and just shit all over their state. But they actually have a great sense of humor about it. Jerry says the audiences there are really able to laugh at themselves. They recognize the absurdity or of living up there in such a remote place. Um, I mean, it's easy material. It really is. Like they've got plugs hanging out of their cars so they don't frost over in the winter. They have uh, this thing called a roadkill lottery. So people can enter a contest to win any moose that gets hit by a car, which is basically dinner for a year. And, uh, negative 40 degrees isn't considered an outrageous temperature at all. So uh, there's a lot of material there and Jerry breaks it down really well. Yep. Yep. He does a great job of, uh, of breaking down why comedians are successful when they go to Alaska. And it was interesting when he was talking about, uh, you know, these, these headlining comedians that are used to play in theaters, you know, in LA and Chicago and New York, going up to Alaska and playing in a bar and Nome in front of 80 people and they're considering that a, a wild success, and it's a great show for them because I'm, I'm sure that the intimacy and all of that has a lot to do with it. But I also think that they probably appreciate the fact that they don't have to promote it so hard. It's not the usual rigmarole of like, we got to sell 15,000 seats at 50 bucks a head or else we're not getting our guarantee and we got to do this and we got to do that and we got to do 25 radio interviews in advance of the show. You can just go to Alaska. You got a great guy like Jerry there to help you set everything up, make sure the tour goes smoothly. You know the people are going to be into it because they're aching for this kind of entertainment. But uh, we'll let Jerry get into that and we will see you on the other side. What is up, Jerry? Thanks for coming to No Blackout Dates. Welcome. Oh, my pleasure. Is, is it warm there? Because I'm in Alaska, you know. It's I don't know what I don't know what it's like in Alaska, but we're I'm in Palisade, Colorado, and it's pretty cold here. But that's by Colorado standards. So yeah, really, like like twenty below cold? No, not even close. Okay, okay, I win. Look at Jerry already flexing about how cold it is in Alaska. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, no problem. I I remember. I mean, my first time in Alaska with you guys was. February, this past February, and I, that's, that's the coldest temperature I've ever experienced. It was, I think, a negative 37. Yeah. It's funny because a, a lot of people, it's for some people that come up in the winter, 
it's almost brag worthy if you do the January, February time like you did. Yeah, I've never felt so emasculated in my life. We were staying with this woman in uh, Denali and it was negative 15 or something. And I was like, oh my God, it's so cold. And she just laughs and says, oh man, we've had a stretch of negative uh, 60 earlier this winter. This is beautiful. I'm going to go walk the dogs. Want to come? So yeah, 60 below was her threshold for discomfort. It's funny how you adapt. And like I said, the 20 above, that's classic because if it's on the way down, it's different than on the way up. So if it's 80 degrees outside and all of a sudden it dips down to 20 above, you're like, oh my God, it's cold. But then it gets down to like 30 below or 40 below for a couple of weeks and it warms up to 20 above. And you're like, oh, this is nice. It's quite, De December always seems so brutal because it's the first, at least here, the first, uh, the first inkling of real cold. But I, I, I'm curious, if, speaking of these people that come up to Alaska in January and February, do most of them seem kind of out of place, like using a block heater on their car and all these, you know, these things that people in Fairbanks are accustomed to, but even people that are from mountainous states in the lower 48 are not, have never dealt with? Um, it, it's really, people handle it differently. You know, it, it, it's, um, it's a shock for most, and we have to explain our way through it for a lot of people. I remember when we got our car, it had the plug on the front, so it wouldn't ice over, and I'd, I'd never seen that before. That's funny, they don't, in Alaska, and this is true, they will not sell you a car unless it's completely winterized and ready to be plugged in. And the reason why is because you'll drive off the lot in a new car, you don't plug it in, your engine freezes up, and boom, you lost your car. So I guess describe the Alaska comedy scene a little bit, and how did you first get into it? Well, I first got into comedy, um, I'll back up a little bit. My first big fan of comedy growing up, my first album was the Smothers Brothers. Um, and then I got, you know, my brother bought me Red Fox, You Gotta Wash Your Ass. And that was back when I was 14 years old and the Monty Python and all that stuff. So I got into radio and I was such a big fan of comedy doing radio that me and my radio partner of 35 years, we used to do what we call theater of the mind. So we would put together like these comedy skits. And so we really were doing comedy on the radio about 10 to 15 years before we even thought about getting up on stage. And then as is typical at a radio station, you host events and we were hosting um, a comedy show and we got up and thought, I'll try a couple jokes and, and you do that. And then, I don't know, just kind of got bitten by the bug. It's like, I've, I've always been, uh, I love the comedy scene, love being around it. And when I had a chance to do it, I just, I just locked right in. So was that first night you were telling jokes on stage awkward? Like, did you bomb? Did you feel good about yourself? What did you learn? No, the funny thing is, as, as most comedians, they never feel good about themselves. Even if you crush, it's like, you because you're always thinking how you could do better. But no, <laughs> the beginning, it was really bad. I think the, I'll tell you the first two jokes I wrote, and I thought at the time were brilliant until I set them on stage and realized they are not. Um, did you ever notice there's not another word for thesaurus? <laughs> this one's even worse. It's like a, a lot of people don't know this about me, but I was actually raised in a barn, which pissed off all my friends because every time they would come over, I'd ask them if the door was open or just something really stupid like that. You know, it's like, so it was brutal, much like it is trying to retell it here to YouTube and your listening audience. So it was tough, but you, you, um, I mean, there's an art to comedy and, and there's ways to to get laughs. And we do um, we actually do workshops and we have for the last 20 years that teach people how to do stand up comedy. So um, so we learned a little a few things here and there. And uh, well, it's kind of, it kind of took off a little bit from there. 
What is the Alaska comedy scene like when you were kind of coming up? Is there a lot of comedians um, trying to make it in Alaska? What What is the the venues? How How many venues are there even in Fairbanks elsewhere? There's not a lot of anything in Alaska, and it's funny because Fairbanks is uh, the the second smallest town in the state. Anchorage is like the big city. Um, and there was never any real comedy clubs here, not really a comedy scene. That's why that's one of the reasons why we do these workshops, because when we were starting out, there was nobody to tell us what to do and how to do it. You know, you just kind of had to forge your way through. Um, and I say we, me and my buddy Glenn, because we both started doing this about 25 years ago. So um, and there really wasn't much of a comedy scene in Anchorage, which is surprising because that's, you know, that's a big city of 250,000. So when we started doing this, um, I started up different circuits. Once I started working with comedians, I thought, well, I should, you know, I, I can put on shows. And so I would find bars and venues and stuff to work with because there really isn't any any comedy club. I would just find a room and turn it into a comedy club. And and we've done that all across the state. It's, it surprises our, our big headliners when they come up here. There's not... We, take them to these really weird places but for them it's very unique you know what i mean for them that's the adventure and that's the that's part of the draw of coming up in the first place for them is to say they did a comedy in the middle of nowhere alaska yeah because they've, they've done comedy they do these cookie cutter comedy clubs all across the country but if they come up here and i take them one night we fly up to Nome to do a weird bar there and then the next night we're 300 miles away in kotzebue um, at a high school gym and then we're in uh, Bethel, Alaska at an elders hall. You know, we could be, we work tents, we've worked strip clubs, we've worked theaters, clubs, any place you can set up a stage, put a spotlight and have a microphone, we've done comedy at. So what is touring like in Alaska? Do you have to fly everywhere you go or can you hop in the back of an Econoline and just kind of wing it? If we're really hopping around the state, you have to fly. We've done almost back-to-back -back shows in Nome and then fly to Kotzebue. And Nome to Kotzebue is further than the distance from Vancouver, British Columbia to Tijuana, Mexico. So for me to take people around the state to do a few random shows, that would be like me saying to you guys, okay, we're gonna do a show Wednesday in Seattle, Thursday in Portland, um, Friday we're gonna go to Denver, and then Saturday we'll be in San Diego. No shit. So it's that, those are the logistics that we're, we're working with here. Cause there's, and there's nothing in between those cities. Is there anyone that's kind of not, not quite taken to Alaska the way that you might think that they would? The thing about Alaska is it's um, it, it, either you've been here. I always say either you've been to Alaska before and you want to come back, um, or you've never been here and you've always wanted. So it's a mystery for all the a lot of people. Now there are some that are a little jaded, um, and I'll give an example. Um, but I cut him a lot of slack, Polly Shore. Uh, you know, we've had, a, had him up a couple of times, um, but he's, you got to remember at a time in his life, Polly Shore could walk into any room anywhere on the planet and he was a god. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like he, he owned yeah. comedy for a short while and, you know, it's like it snapped. Everything he wanted was, it was his, the world was his playground. And then gradually, I wouldn't say he's, he's more bitter now, but, um, you know, the excitement of being on the road anywhere, Alaska or not, has just kind of, it's not there for him. Yeah, times have changed. Yeah, and, and then there are some um, comedians that have been around who most people are really taken by. You know, like Paula Poundstone, you know, I took her around. She w wanted to see the ice carvings in the middle of the winter. You know, T.J. Miller was just here. Um, same thing with, um, 
Louis C.K., you know, they all kind of want to get out and see Alaska, especially in the Fairbanks area, because if I haven't brought them up here, they haven't been here. You know what I mean? And it's such a mystery. So they, they all want to see it. It's funny because I work in the tourism industry and it's very similar to um, to working with the comedians or out of town friends. Like even if you two work travel writers, if you were to come up here for buddies and uh, what I would do is I would take you out to China Hot Springs. You know, we go have a, a beer at Hoodoo's, you know, and, you know, there's certain things that we would do. And uh, Evan, we, those are things that we've done. We've taken you to do right. the same things that we would take that comedians would want to do or that that family, visiting family would want to do. So every, everything kind of interlocks. So they get they, it's lucky. They're lucky in a way. They come up. They get not only a, a host for their comedy circuit, but they also get kind of like the tap into that the tours and PR side of you, where you can right. you know everything. It's your job to show press and other people, other visitors around. So they, they it's a great little vacation for them. Yeah, and, and it's really um, it's funny because the, the PR side is an extension of really of me, anyways. Because I'm born and raised here, and, and I'm older than you would think. So I've, I've been around, so I know all the nooks and crannies in town. So I know the places to go to avoid, and I know what gets people excited. So is it tough to get people to agree to come up there? Like, because I'm I'm guessing that, and I could be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm guessing that Fairbanks, Alaska, isn't offering a headlining guarantee that they might find in L.A. on a Saturday night. So how tough is it to get people up there and to get them interested in actually taking it seriously? It's really, it's not. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. I used to do, um, when I worked at the Fox and CBS affiliate, believe it or not, I did, I done red carpet from the Grammys twice, uh, the Emmys, the Billboard nice. Music Awards. So, and, and I'm right on the ropes and these people are walking by and there's probably a hundred different reporters and stuff trying to get their attention, you know, trying to ask the questions, get them to stop. And the, I use the same line each and every time. Excuse me, do you guys have a second to say hi to the folks up in Fairbanks, Alaska? <laughs> and I've had people stop dead in their tracks. And they would turn around and go, Alaska? And then they'd walk right over. Because, you know, if it wouldn't work if I was to say, you know, hey, do you have a second to say hi to the folks in Iowa? Yeah, screw the folks in Iowa. <laughs> so, so again, it's like it just as soon as people hear Alaska, you know, what, they've either been here, like I said, and and dug it, or they've always wondered. They've always wanted to come here because it's such a mystery to people. So the same thing works true with comedians. So who tells the best jokes about Alaska? The best non-Alaskan comedian that's come up here who's just killed it? I'm a fan of comedy. So the good thing is, is that I get to book comedians that I respect. You know what I mean? Who I know, who I know will crush. And so... You know, how do you compare Craig Robinson's take on Alaska to Louis C.K.'s to, you know, to T.J. Miller's or to Tom Arnold's or they're all unique and, and, and different. Um, and Evan, I think I, I gave you a copy. I, I did a comedy documentary called 20 Years of Alaska Comedy. Oh, yeah. Where where we brought all these comedians up to do. You can't see it at home, but this is what we call product placement. Um, so. So basically, I did a show up here with six headlining comedians who had been here before, and they loved, uh, they have great jokes about Alaska. So I invited them up here, and we did a show that was nothing but jokes about Alaska. And then a bunch of comedians down in L.A. found out we were doing that, and they're like, oh, I want to get involved. So we went down to L.A. to tape a bunch more at the Laugh Factory down there. So so everybody has a unique take on it, and the, and the creative ones come up with with different angles. 
You know, back in the early days when we were dealing with more hacky comedians or someone else was booking them, everybody did the joke. Every guy comedian did the joke about, you know, it's so cold. I haven't seen my balls since I got here. You know what I mean? That's that's a typical kind of joke. But but if you talk with someone who's really creative, they can find different angles. And it's funny that all this comedy that, that that's on my uh, uh, documentary are here on stage. It's like none of it is exactly the same because everybody has their own take on it. What about like the, the the Alaskan audience? What's the humor that gets people off in Alaska? You know, I don't do a lot of political jokes. And so, you know, uh, so I don't have to tiptoe around that because Alaska is considered a red state, although there are huge pockets of blue. So as long as you stay away from what you want, I think you want to do anyways, you know, as long as you stay away from political jokes. There's no, I only do one political joke and I used to only do it in blue rooms. Uh, but then I realized it's it's a good enough joke that I could do it anywhere except Wasilla, Alaska. Oh, anywhere but Palin country. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. So so I'll, I'll tell you real quick because what I'll do is I'll uh, I wind up saying the word retarded in my set on purpose. I'll go, oh, that's retarded. And then I'll stop for a second. I go, you know what? I'm sorry. I should I know you're not supposed to say the word retarded on stage. I said, that's my bad, especially especially now, because a lot of people know this, that the former governor of Alaska, Sarah Palin, and this is true, the former governor of Alaska, Sarah Palin, she actually has a son whose mom is retarded. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, that would not land in Wasilla, I can imagine. <laughs> but so, uh, and I did a show actually in Palmer opening for Gaffigan. Um, and that's right next to Wasilla. And I thought to myself, oh, that joke always works, but I'm not going to do it here. Talking about having these comedians that are used to like big LA rooms and theaters coming into like Barrow, Alaska, it must be almost like a nice back to their roots kind of moment, playing a room of like a dozen people. For them, it feels like the, the glory days of comedy in the States or when they first started out, because a lot of them, you know, the club circuit can be pretty rough, and that's not what they're used to now. Usually they'll go into uh, you know, Portland and they'll play the Helium Club for four nights. They stay near there, you know what I mean? They got one club and they set up and do that. They do that all around the, the country. But up here, it's just like, it's all these road gigs. So you're right, it takes them back to their roots. Um, and there's an energy about the crowds here because they're so amped and they're so, you know, they're hungry for this kind of stuff and appreciative of it. What was that? That one scene in the Alaska comedy DVD was a Jamie Kennedy who showed up and I don't remember where it was, but the lights went out and he did the whole set in the dark. Yeah. And he said um, it was the most intimate show he's ever done. And one of the most memorable by far. We're doing this at a sold out club. It's called the Blue Loon, which is historically one of the, the, the coolest club in, in Fairbanks. So packed crowd, 200 people, him on stage. And this is enough into the winter where it was dark out. Um, and so all of a sudden the lights go pop, everything goes out, the power, everything is dead and people gasp and stuff. And then the, the lights come back up and uh, it takes a couple seconds for the PA to come back up again. And he starts commenting on it, boom, and it goes out again. It happens a few times. And then at one point the lights went out completely. So now you're in this club of 200 people and there's a buzz because people are talking, of course, about what's going on. Um, it's pitch black. So what somebody started doing is they turned on the flashlight on their iPhone, which you figure people do so they can see. 
And then everybody started doing it. And then Jamie started talking and he would have to talk really loud to get over the crowd. And then it took about 10 minutes to ease into this really weird area where now everybody's eyes have adjusted. Everybody is holding up their lights. He's, he's lit up enough to see, and it's just his own voice. So the lights stayed out for an hour. So he did about 45 minutes, just the sound of his voice in this room with all these people. And when he was talking, you could hear a pin drop. And then after the punchline, everybody would laugh, and then it would get real quiet real quick, and then he'd continue on. And um, again, he said it was like doing comedy around uh, a campfire. It's pretty amazing. So again, that's one of the stories that all that Jamie Kennedy's done. He's definitely going to remember that one. Yeah, talk about a memorable experience, both for him and just for the audience too. Like that's so cool. Yeah, for, you're right. For for the audience, that's something they'll you know they'll never. Everybody talks about that night, and other people wish that they would have been there for it because it was kind of you know a little bit of lore, a little bit of folklore involved in that show. I'm curious, kind of building on that about mm-hmm. some of the other crazy stories that you've had bringing these guys out into the middle of nowhere and, and putting them on stage. I don't know if you know who Todd Glass is, great comedian. Um, he got headbutted in Petersburg. Um, you know Craig Robinson? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, he's been up here a few times and we had him in North Pole, Alaska. It, it may have been his first trip up here. People in North Pole uh, love feeding drinks to the comedian. You know, they send them shots because they want to get them drunk because that's their way of connecting with the comedians. Like that, that helps them connect. It's like, oh, I sent him that drink, and you know, now he's he's drunk like the rest of us. <laughs> and, and they're trying to be kind by doing it, but uh, and it, a lot of comedians have learned. You know, we'll tell the bartender, okay, the first two shots are good. After that, water. You know, send water that looks, you know, so or coke or whatever. But Craig Robinson got so drunk one time, and he, and he does his whole set behind keyboards. Right. And this is when he wasn't that well known. So he's playing and doing his thing. And he had been on stage for usually they do 45, 50 minutes. He was on like an hour, 15, an hour, 20. And he kind of leaned over with his towel and he, he you could tell he he threw up. <laughs> Just mid set pukes on the stage, mid set, like no big deal. Yeah. And he gets up and he, he goes through everybody because the bathroom was in the back of the club. And I'm sitting there going. Okay, well, I guess the show's over. So I get up on stage to close it up. All right, thanks for coming, you know, for coming out and everything. And then uh, and here comes Craig Robinson back up to the stage. Happens all the time. I'm like, I'm like it's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm like to- dude, we're totally cool. He goes, no, no, I'm good. I go, you know, off to the mic. I'm like, seriously? He goes, yeah, yeah, no, I just, I'm cool. He's like, okay. And so he sat down and he did like another 20 minutes or so. Nice. But he, I don't know if it's something, I mean, he was definitely drunk. Um, but he, he he carried it off all the way through. And the, the funny thing about that set, well, besides the fact that he threw up on stage, that's funny. Um, but for a while, it was just, hey, did you guys hear about the comedian that threw up on stage at the Refinery Lounge? But now, two or three years later, once he's been on Hot Tub Time Machine, at his own sitcom, that kind of stuff. And now it's like, hey, did you hear Craig Robinson threw up on stage at the Refinery Lounge? So now it's something kind of cool. Yeah. Again, yeah. it's like that cool lore that you were there when he did this. Uh, but at the time, it was like, yeah, some 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 comic threw up on stage. So. That's how I feel anytime I puke in public. I'm always thinking, if I'm famous in five years, all these people watching me, they're going to be like, hey, I saw that guy five years ago. He <laughs> yeah, was, yeah. He, was yeah, he threw up on my shoes. That's the guy. That's the guy. I, I picture Craig Robinson for some reason to be in real life exactly the way he is in Hot Tub Time Machine. 
you you would be right. He's just such such a likable guy. Um, and again, kind of funny. And I wish we don't have pictures of everything, but I wish we had a picture of the, we set him up. He wanted to go dog mushing because we always were whenever anyone's up. It's like, is there anything you want to do? They all and everybody wants to see the aurora if they can. They want to see a moose. And then the next one down the list is go dog mushing. So Craig Robinson is uh, we got him out dog mushing and he's he's riding the team. You know, he got him his own and he's back there and he turns a corner and goes flying off into the snowbank. <laughs> and I'll just never forget the sight of looking back and seeing big old Craig Robinson in the powdered snow with his big park and everything on just laughing his ass off you know what i mean he's just like he's not mad he's like oh he's just he's laughing because all of a sudden he's realizing wow i just got thrown off the back of a dog sled team in fairbanks alaska so yeah so again that's one of those memories and and uh and whenever we talk to him again he always brings that up yeah that's great so do you have an ultimate goal for alaska comedy uh is this something you plan to keep doing as a as a passion project or is there an end point at all for you personally, I, I mean, I certainly I, I do things like the my my passion project was the comedy documentary Twenty Years of Alaska Comedy. Uh, me and my radio buddy, my comedy friend Glenner, I mean, we've put out three. Just tell you how long we've been doing. We put out three comedy cassettes, a comedy CD, this DVD. Um, we we're pitching a, um, a reality show, Extreme Alaska Comedy, which seems like a no brainer. That's, I was going to say to you earlier, that sounds like a no-brainer. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to send you that we have a sizzle reel for it. So, you know, it's kind of Seinfelding in the fact where, but a reverse Seinfeld where we take these people to go do all this crazy stuff. And then they talk, we film it all, and they talk about it on stage afterwards. So we, we cut to them talking on stage to them actually doing it. So, so anyway, so we're kind of pitching that one around and... Believe it or not, our, our big thing that I'm working on now is uh, we got a call from one of the um, producers from AGT, America's Got Talent, who found us through Alaska Comedy. And so they want us to submit. And I've been back and forth with them trying to find the best way to do it. So so the thing is, if if I finish off my life here in Fairbanks, having done what I've done, you know, and doing the small circuit stuff and working with famous people that I, I respect and become friends with, if that's the end game, that's that's totally cool. But I'm always throwing out these other things. And if anything else falls into place, that's great. But I'm never, you know, I'm not going to throw my eggs into the reality TV basket and think, okay, if I don't get this, I'm crushed. I could drop everything and chase, you know, a radio gig or a TV gig somewhere else. But I'm old now. I'm happily married. Happily married. And uh, <laughs> so so we're just, you know, we're we're digging life here. We're going to call this episode Alaska Comedy featuring happily married Jerry Evans with happily married in quotes. Oh, could you? That would really help out. <laughs> yeah. So, so the audiences are receptive to jokes about Alaska because I feel like in the DVD, all those comedians are just shitting on Alaska the entire time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and the, audience, the audience loves it. So I'm thinking, I wonder if that would be the same if you go to like, some town in Iowa and the comedian just like shits on how like remote and disconnected that town is from everywhere else. And if those people would be as accommodating to the comedian as they are in uh, Fairbanks. It's funny. And I'll, I'll make this quick. Cause I do something to talk about what we call the comedy food chain. Cause you always, you always make fun of the, the smaller town. Right. And so, cause I start by saying Seattle makes fun of Anchorage. Anchorage makes fun of Fairbanks. Fairbanks makes fun of North pole. 
North Pole makes fun of Delta, Delta makes fun of Salcha, Salcha makes fun of Moose Creek, and Moose Creek makes fun of a guy named Bob in a trailer. And that's it. So <laughs> it's like it whittles its way down to it's just now this Moose Creek is just making fun of one guy, this poor guy named Bob. So yeah, so you're always you're always shitting on the next town over. But but again here, um, and you can still do that here, but um yeah, people people realize how strange it is the environment we live in. So yeah, people actually if nothing, if it's not that they don't get bothered by it, they love it, and you can t- and you can tell that by the the comedy. That that's why I did this uh, uh, Twenty Years of Alaska comedy. The DVD is nothing but comedians ripping on Fairbanks because that's some sometimes everybody's favorite part of the show. Well, normally we do a listener question right now, but if you've got any uh, lingering jokes about Alaska, we would love to hear them. First thing I do when I pull into a town, um, I grab the newspaper and look in the police blotter, you know, trying to find somebody doing something weird somewhere. So um, so I always come back to this one and this one's like always in my wallet, you know, like if I'm you know, down in Anchorage, I'll say when I travel around, you know, I go to I look in the police blotters and I clip out all these stories of people doing weird stuff. And I know what you're thinking in Anchorage, that if someone's doing something really weird, it's probably from the Fairbanks newspaper. Right. So the story in the police blotter is this guy and his fiance were getting ready for bed, right? So she's in the bathroom doing whatever it is female fiance members do. And he's doing what most Alaskans guys do before bed. He was cleaning his weapon, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why I pause. And that's, and that's what makes Alaska so interesting because half the people are going, right, cleaning his weapon before bed. That's hilarious. And the other half are going, right, cleaning his weapon, of course. What else would he be doing, Jerry? Of course he was doing that, right? So he sets this gun down on the nightstand, gun goes off, goes through the bathroom door and lodges in his fiance's ass. <laughs> now, I'm not saying I know what to do to make a woman happy, but I know how to piss her off, just shoot her in the ass. But here's the deal about the story. They didn't say what happened after that, whether the relationship was strong enough to carry through all this. And I'm hoping it was, and I'm hoping they got married, you know, and lived a very happy life together. But here's the deal. And you know, married couples, if you're married, you're going to argue. It just happens. So if they argue, I don't know how the arguments are going to start, but I know how everyone's going to finish. It's going to be her going, oh, what are you going to do? Shoot me in the ass again? And that's it. He's never going to win an argument. No, you can't because all she's got to do is pull that one. Oh, you're going to shoot me in the ass again? It's like the Florida Man game. There's always a Florida headline of someone doing something crazy in Florida. I bet you could play a similar game for Alaska. Yeah. Fairbanks Man shoots wife in the ass you could have a whole series on it yeah there's there's a yeah there's enough weird stuff going on uh, up here so anyway so yeah so i scour for those kind of things so um i mean there's other chunks of things that i could go into but it it seems kind of um right but you gotta buy the dvd to hear it (laughs) uh is that dvd are are you selling that on uh, alaskacomedy.com yeah and you know and, and, and i can tell folks that and this isn't um this isn't my uh the reason i'm here is to sell my dvd but um it's actually it's on Vimeo too. You can you know you can rent it digitally on Vimeo um, for like three bucks or something like that. But it's it's uh, twenty years of Alaska comedy. But if you do go to the website, you can do it there too. But it's alaskacomedy.com. So you can come check us out. Um, and also we do Instagram. Everything I do is Alaska comedy. So we do Instagram at Alaska comedy, and that's kind of I like sending people there because it's almost like our green room because we have it's us with. Uh, talking about it, having photos with a lot of comedians that we've worked with. So um, some of them inside, some of them out in the Alaska wilderness. So that's on Instagram's Alaska Comedy. We do Facebook and all that kind of stuff. So if anybody wants to reach out and say hi, uh, 
I'd love to talk with you. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jerry, for coming on. Yeah, thanks for stopping by. This has been fun. Oh, thanks a lot, guys. I really appreciate it. And uh, I guess we'll probably be seeing you up in Alaska again, Evan. Yeah, what's it been? Like four months since my last trip. So I, I, at the pace I've been going this year, I think I'm definitely due for another one soon. I better be your plus one next time. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> cool. All right, thanks, guys. Nice chat with you, too. All right, yeah, take it easy, man. And scene. All right, it's hot takes time. All right, Tim, I'm ready. Okay, I'm going to start it off this time because I got some I got some real door slammers here for you. Tim's new favorite favorite phrase is this is my new word I just started using it this morning and now I'm going to use it as much as possible that's a real real door slammer that's a real door slammer there isn't it I was like what the hell does that mean Tim he's like I don't really know it just sounded appropriate so door slammer is your word of the day door door slammer number one Eben (laughs) is your dress style better in summer or winter uh what? By that I mean, do you feel more, do you feel more comfortable and confident in how you dress and go out in public to socialize during summer or winter? Okay, I see where you're coming from. Um, winter because winter is pants season, and it hides the fact that I haven't done leg day in like 13 years. So winter for me all the way. And in terms of going out and socializing, it's it's interesting because I pretty much dress the same regardless of the season. Like I never understood why people bundle up in layers and sweaters and whatever in January when all you're doing is walking from your house to the Uber and then from the Uber like six steps to the bar. It's the same temperature in the bar all year round. Unless, of course, it's like an outdoor thing. But yeah, dress for the destination, not the journey is what I say. That's how that's how I know you're not an outdoorsman is because you just made that statement right there. Um, but I I think that like the people that wear three jackets and uh, and all this extra shit um, are the same people that are then going to like lose their cell phone in the pocket of one of those jackets and forget it at the bar. And by the time they get back to their house at the end of the night, they're not going to have the keys to open their front door or their phone or their wallet or their jacket. Right. Why check stuff if you don't have to or worry about finding a safe place to throw your excess layers where they won't get stolen? I don't know. I I will go to incredible lengths to not inconvenience myself for the long term duration of the night and have fewer things to worry about, even if it means being extremely cold and uncomfortable for a couple of minutes waiting in line to get in. Okay. Uh, Question number two, uh, door slammer, is eating seafood in Colorado bullshit? This is actually really interesting because did we I don't know if we talked about this before. I pitched this story on a on a call a few months ago. I, yeah, I remember that actually. And it was the story idea was is eating seafood is it sketchy to eat seafood in an inland state? And I genuinely don't know. Like I genuinely don't have an answer because I'm curious myself. I feel like growing up on the coast of Massachusetts, I've always thought like, oh, it's great. We got great fresh seafood here. And whenever I go anywhere inland, I feel like, oh, I'm not gonna get, I'm not gonna get salmon. I'm not gonna get like oysters. Like, there's no where they get it from. I don't trust that. They have to fly it in. But is there any truth to the to it not being fresh, to it being lower quality? What is the deal with seafood inland? I genuinely don't know. My experience is that a lot of the places that serve quote unquote fresh seafood in Colorado specifically 
uh, it's flown here on a plane from the coast. So fresh means like within 24 hours, I think. So they have X amount of time to get it here. So it's never going to be as good as it is on the coast. I feel like it's in your head. I I mean, I'm again, you know, I'm not like any kind of food snob and I have no idea what I'm talking about when it comes to food. But I just feel like it's if you serve someone seafood in, in if you're in Massachusetts and you're serving someone seafood that's been flown in from Florida and you tell them it was freshly caught right in their backyard, they'll believe you and they'll be like, oh, my God, this is such amazing fresh seafood. I think people don't know. I think it's all in their head. But speaking of things you can or can't find in Colorado, can you confirm or deny this, Tim? And this is very troubling to me. It seems to me that there are no pie stands in Colorado, like a farm stand where you can pick up a nice fresh apple pie because that's a staple back east. But I haven't found a single one here. Uh, Thanksgiving, I was like, okay, like, you know, find a pie stand, pick up some pumpkin pie, apple pie. People are like, oh, yeah, just go to the supermarket and get one. That's where we get our pies. It's like, what? You don't get a supermarket pie for Thanksgiving? Come on. Does Colorado not do pie, Tim? Yeah, I've never never seen that once in my life. That is tragic. I'm speechless, lost for words. I've got nothing. Yeah, I mean, I have a cousin in Denver that makes pies, and she makes good pie. But for the most part, I would say that people in Colorado don't know shit about pie. Can I get one, you think? Probably, yeah. She'd love to. She loves to bake. She bakes stuff. Friends and family discount? Yeah, friends and family discount. Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Coloradans, Colorado and pie, not really really a match there. All right. Your turn, Tim. Can you have more than one best friend? And I ask this because I feel like there's a real gender divide here. I feel like girls are always saying that they have five best friends. Like one day it's like, oh yeah, I was hanging out with my best friend, Janet. And then the next day it's like, oh yeah, I had brunch with my best friend, um, Christine. It's like, I thought Janet was your best friend. It's like they're able to sort of juggle six best friends at once. And I feel like guys are more, no, like that, that's been my best friend my whole life. He's my best friend. That's it. End of story. No nonsense. It's not as malleable and uh, always shifting. So I'm, I'm just curious what you think about this. Well, this has always been kind of a sensitive topic for me because I've never really had like an official best friend. I have, I have a, a handful of like close best friends, I think, that have been that way since college. And also in high school, I had a different crew of, you know, quote unquote, best friends but i've never had like one buddy that's like yeah we're, we're best friends like we do everything together and when you get a girlfriend i'm going to be really butthurt about it because then you're not going to call me anymore like i've never i've never had that kind of a relationship all right well we're going to start a get tim a best friend sweepstakes here at no blackout dates so we're going to have anyone who wants to enter to be tim's best friend send an email to no blackout dates pod at gmail.com and let us know why you think you're a good candidate to be Tim's best friend. And if you're selected as the winner, you'll win a trip for two. It's, it, it's you and Tim to uh, to Denver to hit up some brewery. <laughs> That'll be the beginning of your fledgling friendship. Yeah, but we're, first you have to come on the show and we're going to vet you. We're going to interview the last three finalists. And that'll be the Tim, the Tim's best friend episode where we'll narrow it down to, to who, uh, who, who takes home the grand prize, which is Tim. All right. All right. Next question is, is cereal just for little kids? Fuck no. I eat cereal all the time. I love cereal. 
In fact, I go on a kick. Like, I don't eat it every day, but I go on a kick where I'll eat cereal for breakfast for like a couple of weeks. And then I won't have it again for like six months or eight months. And then I'll have another kick where I'll buy a thing of, of cereal. So, no, it's definitely not for kids. I don't know how to say this, but I think we just became best friends. <laughs> yeah. Are you a cereal guy, Evan? I, I So, I have gotten so much shit since I was like maybe like in college for being a huge cereal guy, huge cereal guy. And people are like, well, like, why don't you have like a real hearty breakfast? Like the college dining hall has like omelets and pancakes and sausages. And I would literally just sit there and eat bowl after bowl of cereal until I couldn't eat anymore. And when I was a kid, I would mix like four or five cereals together all in one bowl and i would like wake up being so pumped to just like try like a different combination of cereal i love cereal and i've kind of taken a step back from it because just for like trying to be healthier and eating more eggs and stuff but people are always like really you eat cereal when you're like five years old it's like it's not like i'm eating fruity pebbles and and uh and fruit loops all the time it's like they're relatively like healthy hearty cereals with the occasional, uh, you know, sprinkling of uh, cinnamon toast crunch, if you're really trying to get wild, but yeah, I mean, after my fruity pebbles ban of uh, 1996, when my mom discovered how bad they are for you, I, you know, I, I I'm pretty, I'm, I'm on the straight and narrow these days. So if I do cereal, it's, it's a, it's a nice healthy bowl of cereal. I've always wanted to go to Battle Creek, Michigan, because that's where a lot of these cereals are made, and so I've always kind of wondered, like, what's the scene? If you're out at the bar in Battle Creek, does like everybody in the bar work at a cereal company and you've got like the Kellogg's crew over here and like the competition over here and they like hate each other? That's the cereal capital. If you grew up in that town, Battle Creek, you're going to you're in the cereal industry, whether you like it or not. It's like an old coal mining town. You're just born into it, born into the family. Yeah, you, you, you've got they, they don't get lung disease from like inhaling like coal dust. They get it from inhaling the dust that's at the bottom of the boxes from like checks and you've got to like sneak over to your friend's house whose parents don't work for Kellogg's if you want to have a General Mills cereal yeah and if you're from a General Mills family and you fall in love with a Kellogg's girl it's like a Romeo and Juliet scenario where you have to sneak around because it'd be a huge controversy well we're gonna put a call out right now to the visit Battle Creek Tourism Bureau if you bring us up we will do the best article on cereal that you've ever seen yeah oh yeah that's but it's a package deal, though, me and Tim, because there's absolutely no way I'm getting left behind for this one. And last question, not a really a question, more of a uh, demand, actually, for being honest. Tell me your best joke, Tim. Yeah, it's a good way to close. So this is my best joke. No pressure, but it better be one hell of a door slammer. It's a door slammer. <laughs> what, what is the last thing you take off before you go to bed? I don't know, Tim. What is it? Your feet off the floor. Oh my God, that's not good. (laughs) (laughs) It's from this, it's from this joke, this book of jokes that I had when I was a little kid. And so I would say it and like, it became my family's joke. It was like our joke that we would tell. All right, here's my joke. What's an astronaut's favorite key on the computer? The space bar. Oh, wow, that's good. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, well, we're going to end it on that one. 
thanks for tuning in for another episode of no blackout dates and thanks again to jerry for joining us make sure to check out alaskacomedy.com and check out the dvd because it's hilarious don't forget to leave us a five-star review and a comment with your favorite joke and some of your stereotypes for people who live in alaska because who doesn't love stereotypes and gross generalizations that's it for us we'll see you guys next week